Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. I just love um, our listening community. Uh, I genuinely appreciate uh, those of you who have been texting in for Jody's um, direct contact information. If you heard her testimony and it has, um, you know, it's sparked that desire in you to reach out to her in order that you might access those post-abortive resources for yourself or for someone you love who's been living um, with this with this secret um, that's consuming and controlling their daily life, um, go ahead and text me at 877-933-2484, and I will um, send you Jody's direct contact information. So again, uh, you text me at 877-933-2484, and I will put you directly in touch with Jody and um, and the resources that are available to you. If you don't live in North Dakota, it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, that's where she is is working in ministry, but she's well-connected with other post-abortive ministries across the country. Um, and we will absolutely get you connected in your own community with someone who um, can walk with you through this journey. So again, just text me at 877-933-2484. I'll send you Jody's um, direct contact information. Um, a prayers appreciated today. I, I This is going to you know sound like one of those crazy things, but I have a literal pain in my lower left leg. Um, so uh, if you live with pain, periodic or chronic, um, then I know you, you've, you've already just now bowed your head and you're praying for me because uh, people who experience chronic pain um, literally know what a pain it is. So thank you for your prayers today. Just go ahead and if you think about me today, pray that the literal pain in my lower left leg would subside. I, I, need, to, I need to go to a meeting today that requires a lot of walking. I suspect that the pain in my lower left leg uh, is a result of the fact that I went to the same meeting yesterday and walked around all day, um, probably in the wrong pair of shoes. So there you go. My heart goes out to you. Um, My prayers go up for you if you are living with disruptive or distracting or annoying pain as a companion. And so I want to lift up a few verses of Scripture that I have been praying through this morning um, in reaction and response to the pain I've experienced overnight. 1 Peter 5, uh, 9 and 10, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So if you're experiencing um, pain today, uh, I just want to, I want you to acknowledge that, um, first of all, you're not alone. And you're not forsaken. Um, God is going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I've got Peter Kapsner in the wings. He and I are going to talk about um, something that's going on in the culture about which you may be completely unaware. Uh, and it's this this whole cadre, this whole portion of the population that are described as secular monks. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 
Joining me now, Peter Kapsner. Uh, he is a professor. Uh, he's also um, just a, a good brother in Christ with whom I like to talk about the things of the day. We call this uh, series the Fifty Shades of Truth, and today our topic is secular monks. Peter, welcome back. Yeah, great to talk with you, Carmen. I, and I appreciate what you had to say, too, just about the chronic pain piece of it. I think, uh, and I suspect that a lot of people uh, sort of suffer silently with some kind of chronic pain, and uh, it really is disruptive to life in general. I think for me, to the extent that I've had to walk through chronic pain as well, it, it does reveal that, gosh, we really aren't meant for this earth for that long at the end of the day, and you really do begin to long for a different home. At least that can be the invitation, but boy, that, is that a tough journey to walk in. It really does disrupt your conversations, your daily life. You're always having to account for it. It's really a difficult thing. And my sleep. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, all of the above. I don't I function I well without a good night's sleep. And let's just say um, <clears throat> pain in lower left leg, no sleep. Yeah. Right. Um, so secular monks, talk- I'm, I'm so curious. I I mean, okay. so, so what did you notice in this article? I'm so curious what you, what you saw. I hadn't okay, heard this before. Okay, first of all, yeah. I did not know this was a thing. I didn't either. And I'm, okay, so this is a thing. And, um, and I just really I want to make people aware of it so that we can engage in a conversation about what's really going on. So Jack Dorsey is the co-founder and CEO of Twitter, right. uh, founder and CEO of Square. Um, so this is a guy who is um, really successful, really smart, uh, relatively young. Um, and it talks about uh, the article talks about his, quote unquote, spiritual practices. He wakes up at 5 a.m. He drinks juice made from Himalayan <laughs> sea salt, water and lemon. He then takes an ice bath. He meditates for an hour um, in the morning and an hour in the evening. On weekends, he eats nothing. He eats nothing and drinks only water before going to bed. He moves between a dry sauna and an ice bath and a device monitors the quality of his slumber. Um, raised Catholic, he is no longer a believer. He is a stoic, a practitioner of Vip something kind of meditation and a biohacker. I don't know what that is. Um, he's 43, <laughs> unmarried and childless, and he has become what the author then describes later in the article as the secular abbot for secular monks. Okay, these guys are in the prime of life, 35 to 45, never uh, and not married, physical specimens, um, high achievers, world changers, secular humanists, scientific materialists, and experimenting on themselves. Um um, what's going on here is they're now having, you know, sort of achieved all of this. They're looking for meaning. They don't really know why they're looking for meaning because they don't believe meaning exists outside of uh, of their own reality. So I, just help us diagnose what's happening here. Yeah, I think as soon as you take the spiritual out of the conversation, Carmen, right, that there's that there's a world that exists beyond our material world. And not only does that world exist, but as soon as you take even the idea that there's a kingdom that exists that has no end, that really is the one sort of eternal kingdom, it is the narrow path that Jesus describes, what you're left with is sort of trying to perfect the human condition. And uh, and it, you can do that, and you can live in the illusion of that. Again, it sort of goes back to the chronic pain. I mean, when you're feeling young and healthy and vibrant and, and vital, and, and you can engage in all of what Dorsey is engaging with, which really is representative of a rage of sort of uh, physical health practices that uh, there's a gigantic multi-billion dollar market for to really try to perfect the human being in this life, to live sort of a, a perfectly tuned kind of life. But when you are organizing your life towards the things of this world, you can sort of 
practices for a period of time and even at least according to the metrics of that kind of life, you can achieve success. He probably feels incredibly healthy. He probably feels vigorous in doing his job throughout the day. But you're only forestalling that which is temporary to begin with in so doing. And so you get into your 40s, you get into your late 40s, maybe early 50s, and you realize, I sort of been there, done that. And and sort of the old uh, U2 song with Steve Bono where he sort of cries out in the song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you can search the heights and the depths of this world and not find it. But when you take the spiritual out of the conversation, when there isn't any other anchor along those lines, this is this is where you have this is a version of secular humanism, which is simply we are looking to perfect ourselves and perhaps the best we can perfect the world around us. And it's a forever losing battle. Um, he's worth five billion dollars. Yeah, that's that's a few more billion than I have, Carmen. I, yeah, maybe you and I combined could rub five... our nickels together and, so, and not be so there. So this would be so this would be part of this conversation, right? The, this, yep. These people are like wildly successful by the standards of the world. Um, and we read and they have these they have these guys who serve them who are called life designers. Um, that was sort of an interesting part of this. Like, apparently, you need counsel and coaching and mentoring, and obviously, that's being done by people who are not five billionaires. Right. Um, they're, you know, right. They're, they're self-described uh, life designers. Um, it, when we talk about being the author of your own life, that's another part of the way that this is described. Um, these best practices are about, you know, optimizing the self and um, uh, conceiving of nothing other than that, which is before you in the now. Yeah, so exactly. here's here's a sentence. There's no world but this one, no day but today, no self but the one knitted together in this perishable uh, mind body composite. They they're talking about um, they're talking about life as if it is just literally uh, the here and the now. Um, and I wanna um, I wanna disabuse people of that notion. When we come back, I, I really wanna have you and I acknowledge the supernatural reality of the world and the reality of God and his good design so that when we enter into the conversations of the day, we're actually prepared to talk about the rea- the unseen reality that is that is available and in which we participate, whether we know it or not. So I'm talking with Peter Kapsner. We're talking about um, a, a movement afoot um, called Secular Monks. If you just Google Secular Monks, the First Things article uh, will populate, and you would be able to read it for yourself. We are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Peter Kapsner about um, secular monks. I didn't even know this was a thing. It is a thing. Um, they are super entrepreneurial um, they are uh, they emphasize creativity and optimization. Um, but then we get to this conversation about what they really fear. And I think that this is an opportunity, Peter, to talk about um, what what they're really dealing with. Uh, and it's the same thing that we're all dealing with. Yeah, right. The, the, the questions of identity, belonging and purpose. So what these secular monks really fear are slavery and impurity. Now, they don't define either of those terms in the way that you and I might define those terms um, from a, you know, from a, a biblical or Christian or gospel worldview. But um, but for them, a slave is anyone who falls victim to circumstance, indecisiveness or waywardness, which is curious because that suggests there is a way like waywardness dis- would suggest there is a way. Um, and then impurity would suggest that there is 
the possibility of purity and something pure, which suggests something other than that which is human. So how do they resist? How does a secular person resist the reality and the constant pressing in of the supernatural on these conversations? Yeah, you, you sort of do have to go into denial about it <clears throat> at some point. But it's it's interesting, Carmen, when you look at the biblical text, sometimes I would tend to think of sin as something that I do that breaks one of God's commands. I need to ask for forgiveness and move on with my day. But sin really actually, from a biblical standpoint, is a, is a power of defiance that is at work in this world. And it is a dynamic power, meaning that is constantly seeking to enslave. And, and to the way it enslaves is that it deludes and and um, and deceives our thinking about what's actually true. So how do you continue to resist the supernatural? Well, Jesus, obviously, when he walked this word, uh, walked in this earth, was fully man, but he was fully God. And he would say things like, if today you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. And so the supernatural was pressing in on people all day long in terms of whispering from the voices of heaven about what's really true in this life. And when you continue to resist that and engage in sin as a power of defiance, simply meaning I will not listen to this voice, your heart does become increasingly harder and harder and harder. And it becomes more difficult to actually hear anything to the point where the biblical text says things like you are now dead to sin. What does it mean to be dead to sin is that your heart has become so hard that you don't even realize that there could be the possibility of a different way of life. There could be a different kind of kingdom to which you attend. And I appreciate what you said, even just about the slavery to something, that they don't want to be enslaved to something. But to be enslaved to something is simply to have to be serving some kind of master. And the reality is, Carmen, we are all in service to something. And nobody is just sort of this autonomous, free individual. We're either, we're, we can be even in service to the fact that we're having to pursue freedom all the time. That is what we serve. And the question, the question is not, are we in service, are we not? The question really is, what do we serve? Do we serve ourselves and, and our sense of optimization and perfection? Or are we serving the king of a different kind of kingdom? And if the answer to that question is the former, we're serving ourselves, the way you get there is simply by constantly resisting the voice of God and to the point where you hardly even hear it anymore. We're talking about um, secular monks. Uh, Peter, I want to read the last couple of sentences and get your get your reaction and response. Um, the This new celibacy, which is in quotation marks here, this new celibacy uh, or new celibacy is one of the habits of success for these secular monks. Yeah, yep. And then there's these sentences. Family life is just constant disruption. You can't <laughs> sleep soundly when your child wails all night with a cough or a fever, and you can't perfect yourself when you must always consider your wife's needs. Secular monkhood requires a strict regimen, um, and it's good for a man to be alone. Wow. I, I mean, I, I hardly even know what to say about that, Carmen. I mean, the, that strikes at the heart of the self-absorption of this way of life, uh, where I think the the real problem with all of this is that God's kingdom is one that pulsates and is interwoven with love all day long. I mean, it, the very heart of his kingdom is love. And so if you want to enter into the reality of God's kingdom, where you actually find peace in your soul, even amidst the hardships of this life, you have to be walking in some sort of reality of love in your life that flows from the Trinitarian life of God itself. And what love requires is other people. And yeah, it's hard to have a family. Yeah, it's hard to um, be relationally disruptive. But the idea that I can sort of find my sense of purpose, meaning just only inside of myself, as opposed to engaging in the realities of the love of other people. And 
Again, love is defined in God's kingdom as a tender-hearted affection that never leaves nor forsakes and will always desire the wholeness of another ahead of oneself. And and when God's love explodes within you in that way, First John talks about we begin to love because we're anchored in God's love who first loved us. And that way of life is where we actually find our peace and our hope as opposed to all of these sort of self-absorbed ways of life that if I can just perfect myself, just get the right job, just get the right sort of body type, whatever it all is, it's always going to slip through our fingers like water every time we pursue that way of life. I um, I I find myself really like sad and despairing. It is really, it it is that. Right? I mean, this is a person who literally, I mean, he can literally do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. And this is what he's choosing to do. Um, Talk talk about the choice that's in front of us every single day to either live for ourselves or to live, um, you know, for God in Christ. Yeah, it's, boy, and we're not brought up that way, right? To to be thinking that this is the way of life. And so it's such a difficult choice, especially if we've been raised differently, meaning that we do, as you and I have talked about, uh, on many different occasions in different contexts, the idea that we even raise our children that you should be and do whatever you want to do and be whatever you want to be. And so you, you sort of set up your kids or we set up our children, even in our country, for a more self-absorbed way of life. I mean, Dorsey simply is sort of the epitome of or the penultimate example of somebody who is becoming whoever they want to be empowered by himself. And I sat with a, a group of young people last night. There's probably about 150 in this room in this youth group. And, and, I, and I say the number simply because you could feel the commonality among a wide group of people. And the commonality was this void of loneliness, this void of purposelessness. And instead of the message being, you can be whatever you want to be, the sooner you give yourself up in service to the king, the sooner that you say yes to Jesus's invitation where he says, here's the deal. If you want to find your life, the only road to find in your life is a willingness to lose your life, to to give it all up. It's when he says in that first beautiful beatitude of Matthew 5, he says, you want to know who, who understands and walks in my kingdom? Blessed are the poor in spirit, which simply means blessed are those who know they don't have what it takes. They are already at the end of their rope. They're not living in the delusion that they can carve out a way in this life that's going to bring peace to the soul. For when you get to that place, and I'm sure listeners know that idea of getting to the end of your rope, as soon as you get there and you acknowledge your need and give up this life, then all of a sudden God greets you with this craziness, which is the realities of his own Trinitarian life that does start bringing peace and love and hope and the the real things that abide and persist in this life. It is the only road Carmen, that's what I was trying to tell these young people last night at a very early age. You can continue to try to achieve and build your resumes, but you will find that that hole will never be filled at the end of the day. All right, Peter Kapsner and I want to encourage you um, to, you know, all kinds of spiritual disciplines during the season of Lent. But we want you to do so unto God's glory and not your own. Like, sure. That's really the gist of this conversation. Um, there, you know, celibacy is a, is a wonderful and positive calling for those um, who are called to it in Christ Jesus for the service of God. Um, and and these spiritual disciplines that someone might subject themselves to um, for the disciplining both of the body and the spirit in order that we might be more available and more open to the reality of God and what he wants to do in and through us. Those are all those are all good things. This is a perversion of all of those good mm-hmm. things. And I just wanted to highlight the way that um, this is just literally the truth turned on its head. So, Peter, um, thanks, as always, for joining me for this conversation. Oh, it was great to be with you, Carmen. Thank you. All right. We got the break point up next. All right, so uh, 
every man deals, and actually, frankly, every woman, deals with uh, the temptation of sexual impurity and the challenge of sexual purity. And so 20 years ago, um, the book, Every Man's Battle, came out as a, a, a workbook, really, for men um, in terms of how they could regain not just control, but victory uh, over their eyes and their minds and their hearts. Well, there's a 20th anniversary edition of Every Man's Battle, Winning the War on Sexual Temptation, One Victory at a Time, with an included workbook. And next up, I've got Fred Stoker, uh, one of the co-authors of the book, along with Steve Artiban. Um, Fred will be here in just a moment. He and I are going to talk about Every Man's Battle. We're also going to talk about the resources available to you to win that war. We'll be right back. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. This is Max Lakato. God hates pride. How do we explain God's abhorrence of the haughty heart? Simple. God resists the proud because the proud resist God. Arrogance will not admit to sin. The heart of pride never confesses, never repents, never asks for forgiveness. Pride is the hidden wreath that shipwrecks the soul. Pride comes at a high price. Don't pay it. Choose instead to stand on the offer of grace. You see, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Isn't it easy to see why? Humility is happy to do what pride will not. The humble heart is quick to acknowledge the need for God, eager to confess sin, willing to kneel before heaven's mighty hand. And because God's promises are unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. This is Max Locato. So, um, the challenge of dealing with uh, pornography and other temptations related to um, sexual purity uh, is is real, and it's raging in the culture today. More than 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. I just want you to think about that for just a moment. When we think about pornography and we think about the, the hooks that we know that are set in the mind, um, when we know how it actually changes the, the way that our brain works and our body functions in response to the brain, you know, science is now on our side in this conversation that um, that pornography in all of its forms is detrimental to the human individual, certainly to human relationships, um, to marriages, to families, and to society writ large. And yet, the the porn industry here in the United States of America has an annual revenue more than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. I want you to think about just the <laughs> the revenue generators that are. Uh, the National Football League and uh, and the NBA and uh, and Major League Baseball. And I want you to think about the combined revenue. And then just pause for a moment to consider that the annual revenue of the pornography industry is greater than those three combined. Um, we are talking about something that uh, men, men specifically, but but women in greater and greater numbers deal with as a raging battle in uh in 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 their lives every single day and not just every single day every single moment 
there's a moment by moment victory that has to be won and a moment by moment battle that has to be waged in order for men and women to um to actually be victors and win the war on sexual temptation uh in the culture today and so every man's battle is uh is a book that was released 20 years ago now um and fred stoker is not only the the author uh, and and co-author of the revised edition of every man's battle um but he's also the founder and president of living true ministries um do i have fred Yes, you do. Well, well, thank goodness. That's wonderful. Fred, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Sorry, I've, my voice sounds a little bad. I've been struggling with a cold, but um, I'm here. Well, we appreciate your being here with us, and we very much appreciate this ministry, not only to men, but to but to women. Um, and I would just really appreciate if you would share with us, um, you know, what we, we recognize the need. Um, but let's just describe in its most basic terms, what is every man's battle? What is the battle? Well, the battle is simply um, to find sexual purity in a very uh, sensual nation or world. And, you know, that entails a lot of things. So first of all, we know that means uh, no sex out of marriage. But it goes a lot farther than that. In Ephesians 5.3, the Lord speaks about the fact that we are not to have even a hint of sexual immorality in our lives. And uh, then that what that's going to mean is that we're not going to be able to have any sexual gratification from anyone or anything but a wife. And so, especially when we're single, but also later, obviously, when we're married, we need to keep our eyes under control, uh, keep them looking straight ahead, not at women, not lusting. And, uh, you know, to keep all self-gratification in check and uh, to, uh, to essentially, in short, uh, handle our sexuality as God would expect us to. So I'm going to um, I'm going to ask the question that some listeners would be asking right now, and that would be, isn't this just completely unrealistic today? You know, people are waiting longer to get married. Some of them are never getting married. Isn't this just a completely unreasonable standard to imagine uh, that we are going to live lives of sexual purity uh, in the world today. Well, you know, like my son Jason would say, um, you know, if God has called us to this, it must be possible. And mm. I remember him telling me that when he was quite a young teen. And so, you know, he went all the way to the uh, altar without, you know, getting hooked on porn, without. Um, you know, without getting tied up in self-gratification. My younger son has done the same. And as for me, it's been over 25 years since I've uh, consciously gone to last blessed after something on the computer or the television, and I haven't done any self-gratification in over 25 years either. So, you know, no, it isn't. It isn't something that is impossible. It is something that requires some commitment, and it also requires understanding how the male body is made so that you can defend yourself. Um, if you're just going to run out and run through the streets of these cities and, uh, you know, the highways and byways, and, and you're not going to put up any defenses, sure, you're going to get hooked on sexual sin, and that's uh, it's not only likely, it's pretty well guaranteed. Um, but 
if you care about God's word uh, enough, and if you're committed to it, you can do it. I am talking with Fred Stoker. Uh, he is uh, the co-author, along with Steve Arterbin, of Every Man's Battle, Winning the War on Sexual Temptation, One Victory at a Time. If this is something with which you are struggling and you want help, we have some copies of the book to give away. You should text the word book to 877-933-2484. Fred and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, I'm going to I'm going to ask him for some very practical guidance in terms of gaining victory with your eyes, your mind, and your heart. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. There's always a reason to always choose joy. There's something deeper that the world can't destroy. Smile when you think you can't smile. I'm talking with Fred Stoker. You can can find Fred online at fredstoker.com. Stoker is spelled S-T-O-E-K-E-R. We are talking uh, about every man's battle, winning the war on sexual temptation, one victory at a time. Uh, This is the 20th anniversary edition of the book, revised and updated, including the workbook. Uh, If you want to enter the drawing for the handful of copies I have available, please text the word book to 877-933-2484. Fred, uh, talk with us. uh, Just give us some practical. The book is really practical. I mean, that is really what it it is all about. Um, So talk with us about just some very practical ways to gain victory with your eyes, your mind, and your heart. Well, there are are some very specific um, weaknesses in male sexuality in terms of uh, getting hooked on things that we don't want to be hooked on. And the first one would be the eyes. Our eyes are capable of drawing sexual gratification straight out of our environment. So whether you're looking at porn or whether you're looking at the girl in the thong bikini at the beach or even the girl with too tight sweater, you know, in in math class, I mean, those things are going to really hook you. And what happens in the chemistry of the brain is that it locks that image into your brain actually forever. And so what happens is later on in the day when you're in bed at night going to sleep, those images come back to your mind and you start lusting and, and you know, it goes in all kinds of bad directions. And so uh, one of the things I did with my own sons was I taught them early how to bounce their eyes away from the things in their environment. Just to give you a quick story, my, my youngest son, uh, he was at the mall one day with my wife and my two daughters. And when he came home that day, um, you know, the two girls ran upstairs. He, he grabbed Brenda, turned her around and just said, Mom, how do you get pictures of women in their underwear out of your brain? And she was shocked by that question, but asked him, you know, what what pictures are you talking about? And he said, well, we went by that Victoria's Secret store today, and I haven't been able to get the pictures of that out of my brain all day. Mm-hmm. You know, he was only 11 at the time, and, and that shows you what goes on through the male eye. I mean, we, from a young age, when we look at something sensual, it locks that image into our brain, and... and uh, it becomes something that becomes habit. It becomes addictive because of the chemistry. And so what we teach in the book is how to guard your eyes, uh, how to break that addiction. In this new version of uh, Every Man's Battle, we have added um, a lot of brain research that has come out over the last 20 years. And uh, one of the great things is that brain research has not uh, changed anything that we said or changed any of our practical steps. It basically reinforced why uh, the practical steps work. And so, you know, 
for those of you who maybe have read the book and, and you know, are still struggling, there's a lot of new information that can really help you break uh, the habits that you've formed. So I was going to ask you in the 20th uh, anniversary edition, you know, how has the battle changed and, and what do we uh, what do we need to add? But you've, you have shared that. So let me pivot to this question. This is not just every man's battle. Um, this is every person's battle now. This is every child's yes, battle in our culture. This is certainly every woman's battle. And yes. there are then the spouses of those who um, who deal with this. Speak speak to that range of conversations and talk about the resources available um, at all of those different spaces of life. Sure, sure. Um, first of all, let me just talk to the, the women who are struggling because their husbands are stuck on sexual sin. Uh, my wife and I wrote a book called Every Heart Restored, uh, which will help you uh, just help you understand that situation with your husband. And it's intended to draw you into a position where you're ready to fight that battle with him and to help him win, as opposed to just being completely broken and hurt. So that's the first thing I would say that uh, my wife always says that when you find out your husband is hooked on sexual sin, uh, the first thing you need to do is to get educated about male sexuality. And that book, Every Heart Restored, would really help you. Now, in terms of uh, sexual sin in women themselves, uh, that kind of brings us to that second great weakness that we have in our sexuality. The, the first one, I mentioned the eyes, that's primarily a male issue. Uh, but there's a second weakness that we have where um, our sexuality is tied very tightly uh, to our emotions. And and it's also tied to the way our brain works. And over the last 20 years, we found that the brain is a lot more plastic and malleable than we thought. And what happens when we look at things like pornography is that um, it, it literally releases uh, reward chemicals in our brain that does two things. Number one, it makes us want to experience that again. But the worst part is, is it it builds up uh, neural pathways that that make it so that the next time we're in that same environment, it will remind us to get some sex. And so, you know, let's say like when I was a young salesman, I used to go to motel rooms a lot at night, you know, because I would be out traveling. And every time I would walk into a hotel room, it would feel like, you know, 70 demons had grabbed me by the throat and wanted me to experience sexual sin. But what I found out over time was there were no demons there at all. It was simply my brain uh, being used to getting that kind of thing when I'm in that environment. And so there's a lot of times where we as you know, men or women will sit and we'll think, oh, gosh, you know, we, we're rotten Christians. We can't we can't control any of this. But in reality, you, you really can. But what it requires is to stop the practice that's putting those habits into place. And one of the things we find with women is that um, pornographers were never able to hook them back in the 60s and 70s like they hooked men because women aren't interested in just looking at static pictures of nudity uh, through their eyes. That's not how they work. But female sexuality is built upon relationship. So what the pornographers have done now in the days of computer uh, streaming is that they've now tied uh, romantic plot lines to the pornography. And because the romantic side of it kind of hooks the female heart, she gets into the pornography. And now the same chemistry happens in her brain that happens in the male brain. And so now that they've added the romance to it, 
now the women are getting hooked. And frankly, I think it's up to over 50% of women now are hooked on pornography and uh, self-gratification. And what we have found is that once you get into that habit, you use that then to medicate other pain in your life, loneliness, um, disconnection. And so women who are particularly susceptible to loneliness and, and disconnection, once they get hooked, you know, they're hooked for a while. And um, the same principles in every man's battle will work for them. Um, but I'm also in the process of writing some things on that right now, specifically for women. So I'm talking with Fred Stoker. We want to encourage you to uh, to visit the website, fredstoker.com. Stoker is spelled S-T-O-E-K-E-R. Um, I do have a handful of copies of the book we're discussing today, Every Man's Battle, Winning the War on Sexual Temptation, One Victory at a Time. It is the 20th anniversary edition, revised and updated. Includes the workbook. Um, if you would like to enter the drawing uh, for a copy, you all you have to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. Fred, what you're doing is um, is so important and so valuable um, and so desperately needed. Um, and so as a, um, you know, as a wife and, and a mom and as a, a person who has, you know, lots of intersections in the culture with uh, with numbers of people who deal with this, uh, let me just, let me just say thank you. Um, and could we pray? Could we pray for you and your ministry? Oh, thank you very much. I would really appreciate that, Father. We want to lift up Fred today. Um, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for the victory you have given him, and through him, the practical resources that you are providing to others that um, that we might live genuinely free. I want to pray today um, for his physical health. Ask that you would. Um, that you would heal him today and it continue to equip and empower him and provide all the spiritual resources necessary for this uh, important ministry to which you have called him. Bless his marriage and his family. Br- bless Brenda um, and their, their ministry together in Jesus' name. Amen. Fred, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's just been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be right back. Wow, it has been uh, quite a day together. If you um, if you were really touched by uh, by the testimony that Jody offered earlier um, about her abortion, if that uh, is is help you need, if you just let me know. Um, again, it's just the same text number. So just just text me at eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four that you want Jody's direct contact information and more information about post abortive ministries. Uh, maybe in your own community, please, please text me and we'll we'll let you know. Um, if you want a copy of uh, of Every Man's Battle, um, you just text the word book to that same number, 877-933-2484. It's just such a privilege and a pleasure to be with you each and every day. Thank you um, today in advance for um, for your prayers for me and for others who are dealing with some pain today of any kind. Let's uh, certainly be praying the news as we hear it and praying for those most in need today of salvation. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.